So did y'all see this thing about um, how Obama, Bush, and Clinton are going to come together to inspire confidence in the vaccine by getting vaccinated together? Mm-hmm. I, I honestly can't think of like a worse way to convince anti-vaxxers that the vaccine is safe than to put <laughs> those Obama, three. George W. Bush, <laughs> and you. Yeah. Who, who I have would, an alternative uh, proposal. Yeah, all right. Gwyneth Paltrow, the entire <laughs> staff of Goop on a football field. Yep. Yeah, there no, you go. that that, that I works. Think, I think that would that would definitely zip up like half of the anti-vax community. I think we're gonna need uh, somebody. They're to gonna make a new I think that just targets the wealthy anti-vax. I, I just community. think that like yeah, if you sell a supplement, if you sell a supplement, you should be enlisted as a member of the uh, the National Vaccine Demonstration Corps. Anti-vax in- influencers, you're saying? Yes, exactly. panel if you'd like to help us out please become a supporter of the show at patreon.com slash death panel pod if you become a patron you get access to our entire back catalog of episodes which is over a hundred of them now i believe wow. if i'm not mm-hmm. wrong yeah a hundred of america's greatest hits and our super secret bonus episodes yeah and um you know patrons get a discount on merch and uh, they might be gone by the time this airs, yeah. but there is a limited edition uh, tie-dyed set of t-shirts that are up for sale. There are only seven left, I think, at the time of recording. So They are so good and so cute, and why do you not have one is really and all I can say. By me. Blood, sweat, and tears. Well, okay, enough plugs. We've got the full panel today. I want to dive right in and talk about something that we've been getting a lot of questions about, which is, of course, the COVID-19 vaccine. Not necessarily how it works, but um, we've talked a lot about that, but more who will get it and what the hell the plan is for distribution. Yeah, this is something like if you thought the uh, how it works question was sort of like <laughs> vexing and like you read like four or five articles on it, you're like, you know, I thought I'd be able to say something intelligent about this at the end of it and I, I can't. That is actually just double that effect, and uh, that that's where we are with the, the vaccine plan, distribution yeah, plan. that's true, and that's really unfortunate. Actually, um, I mean, if for those who are interested, including some of the people who have, I think, asked us over the last uh, one of the most recent uh, public episodes of ours, uh, not the most recent one, which was an interview with uh, Liat Ben Moshe, um, but before that, our episode, Thanksgiving for All Who Want It, um, the whole back half of that is us explaining like the deal with the mRNA vaccines mm-hmm. uh, from Pfizer and Moderna, which we'll get into some of the like problems that are going to be encountered, <laughs> I guess, uh, that are very evident in uh, you know all the all the discourse around them right now in terms of like how they'll actually be uh, rolled out. But if you want to like yeah, um, learn learn about how those actually work, then that's the episode for you. Already, right. we call it opportunities for creative problem solving mm. sure yeah <laughs> opportunities for neoliberal grift i think yeah. is what you mean. <laughs> hey Many i said creative problem solving what do you think i actually fucking coalition meant? building between abound. think tanks yeah 
Yeah. I mean, I feel like we missed a huge opportunity to, um, we should have sunk all of our savings into the ultra low temp freezer industry a year ago because, you know, coronavirus was a planned pandemic and, um, you know, God. the WHO knew and we could have made a killing <laughs> on, you know, sinking all of our, our money into these freezers because... Ugh, I just pulled all my stock out of Sub-Zero. Look at the people who bought the freezer. Just look at the documents, folks. <laughs> the freezer industry. Um, all joking aside, though, we've touched on some of the potential issues with uh, distribution, supply, uh, supply chain, freezers, etc. But I feel like the biggest problem right now is it's being very mischaracterized in the mm-hmm. media. Um, basically everybody is sort of cheering. We're months away from a rollout. It's, it's weeks, any day weeks now. Weeks away, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and which for some, for some, which it for is some, yeah, legitimate I mean, we weeks are. away, but right. for very few, I mean, what is it? Uh, Cuomo, like, uh, governor Cuomo announced that New York, for example, will get 170,000 people's worth of vaccines uh, around December 15th. And those are, you know, obviously those are going to go to, as we'll talk about the, some of the decisions have been made already for priority. Obviously, mostly they're going to go to uh, healthcare workers first. But if you think about it, you know, uh, New York city itself has 8 million people. <laughs> yeah. Right. So <laughs> right. 170,000 for New York state is, you know, this is it, obviously it's good news that there are going to be vaccines rolling out, but like, I think by no means should we look at the current state of things at basically every level between, uh, I guess we'll be talking about like, uh, manufacturing the sort of, uh, decisions that are being made, including decisions made this week about, um, mm-hmm. sort of what the priority tier list will be for people. And that's just in the United States also like federal and state funding and planning or lack thereof or lack thereof for stuff like this um and other issues not to mention like international problems right so right and it's it's this weird thing i mean i've mentioned this probably before on the show which is that despite the very low level of trust that most people have in the ability of government to do anything i still have this sense that when people say like there'll be a vaccine that the common understanding of what that means is that like oh i'll i will be able to get a vaccine Um, and it's like i would bet and i've never seen evidence on this but i would bet that most people in fact overestimate how quickly and how capably Mm -hmm. we can get this out actually despite what they've seen uh with uh testing and anything else there's this sort of belief that like you know, if it exists, then most people will be able to get it and then we're in the clear and this things can resume to normal, which is sort of like why, you know, for like practical policy purposes, like one of the things that has kept, in, you know, investors so optimistic about the state of the economy has has sort of like given Congress like a pass on not uh, really doing uh, as much in terms of, of aid, because there's this assumption that by quarter two of next year that we're going to be like in the clear and normal. Right. But there's so many slips between the I, either sort of what is written down in the plan, which is is mm-hmm. what we're going to talk mm-hmm. about, like itself kind of ambiguous, but also all of the raw materials and things that have to go into place to make that work. And like any hiccup that we identify today, there's going to be like for every one, there will be five more 
that we're not going to be talking about, right? I mean, I mean, I continue to think uh, it is. It, it continues to really impress me the amount of ways that this particular logical fallacy can apply itself because we've talked about this a lot of different times. Like the the simultaneous belief that the simultaneous, I guess I would say belief, but also first first and foremost understanding that. <laughs> the institutions of uh, American democracy, American federalism, et cetera, are pretty decrepit at this at this point that are, are, you know, not um, failing quite a bit at the task that they're in particular supposed to be doing uh, mm-hmm. at any given moment. And simultaneously, the belief that there is uh, that someone's going to come to save you, that there is a safety net, that like those institutions will catch you at the last moment. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I feel like in a lot of ways, sort of the retail concept of artificial scarcity has really fucked us over here because I think (laughs) a lot of people like they hear like, okay, there's only 180,000 and they think Yeezys, they think I can buy it in the secondary market. They're not thinking clearly, obviously they're not thinking like, okay, 180,000 doses that goes to what maybe Two, covers two thirds of healthcare workers plus the people who maybe maybe don't have antibodies. That's not going to bring us anywhere near the amount of people that would need to have some sort of protection to reopen. But it, it, in the back of people's minds, they're not used to thinking about limited quantities as actual limited quantities. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. there's That's always really this point. sort of secondary market where if you have the money, you can right. make the purchase, right? No matter mm-hmm. what, like with it, be it a PS five or a pair of fucking sneakers right. or a car. It's, you not know? Like a, it's not like a durable good where right. it's like, uh, someone can have like, yeah, someone can have the pre-order or whatever right. and then sell the pre-order on eBay. eBay. It's like, right. no, actually you, uh, you can't just like get the shot and say, okay, well I'm going to, I'm going to resell this shot or something. Yeah, also, we don't even like, have enough let's... doses to cover the first group we need to cover. So, so obviously, you know, there has to be some sort of like uh, guideline or directive as to like who is supposed to go first. And there is a special group of experts who have gotten together to uh, at the very last minute. They had months to do this, but they they just got their shit together to advise the CDC this past week as to what they think the priorities should be, um, who should get it first. You know, the first batch that we're supposed to get, we're supposed to get enough for 20 million people. Um, and they've sort of set up these three groups, groups 1A through 1C, um, you know, who should get it first and why the only problem is it's incredibly vague and the first yeah. group is 24 million people so <laughs> right Wait, can you There's read out the problem. names of the groups because i feel like this is like once you start getting into it yeah, it's like tiers, yeah exactly. exactly who makes the cut and who doesn't it's sort of like <laughs> yeah. you know uh, elementary school basketball oh totally yeah <laughs> so phase one a members yeah definitely like some sort of uh We'll have some definitional problems here, I suppose, right? Yeah. So phase 1A um, is supposed to cover, quote, healthcare workers, as well as long-term care facility staff and residents, which is estimated to be about 24 million people. Um, Phase 1B... Which which I would argue is probably a more cut-and-dried group than... Yeah, some that, of that's somewhat easier yeah. to define. Depending yeah. Some on, of them, yeah. Depending on where, because there are obviously a lot of decisions that you have to make there in the long run. Right? Like, is a CVS a pharmacist a healthcare worker? 
under this schema, for Is example. the dermatologist supposed to take priority over a transport worker right, or, a, yeah. or someone who's a exactly. uh, room cleaner in the hospital? Right. Yeah, so, I was going to say, so yeah, that's, versus... Phase 1A is theoretically the most cut and dry, and as we'll get into, it's not necessarily cut and dry, and so that's supposed to be healthcare workers, and that's coming in at 24 million people estimated. Then we have Phase 1B, which is looking like in the United States alone, and this conflicts with what all the international vaccine organizations have recommended, but in the United States, we've decided. Phase 1B is looking like it's going to include teachers, food and agriculture workers, police, and firefighters. Mm. Can we just fire all the police? (laughs) (laughs) That would actually save a lot of money and um, probably be a good public health measure, to be honest. Bump them down to 2A or 2B, wherever. (laughs) So then you have the third phase, phase 1C, and that's supposed to include adults 65 and older and adults with high-risk medical conditions. Now, the difference between the guidelines that the CDC is probably going to adopt, which is this phase 1A, B, and C, uh, is that basically all the international organizations have phase B and C switched, right? Which mm-hmm. makes sense from a public health standpoint. You yeah. you vaccinate healthcare workers, then vulnerable patients, then you know workers in the economy who keep things going. But, you know uniquely us we've decided nope patients after police police first healthcare food workers first god bless america over the age of 65 you know many of them are not contributing to the economy (laughs) oh man (laughs) except except the thing is like if that's the logic that's that's heinously dumb because yeah they are contributing they're they're going out and purchasing things so they're going out and infecting people at at lows so question so everything so everyone uh basically like you know every media operation under the sun has covered this as like like healthcare workers and residents of long-term care facilities are should be like the first to mm-hmm. get it. So right. is that within one A? Like residents of long-term care that facilities. That is technically within one A. Okay. However, um, it seems like the numbers aren't really adding up. Is the problem because if you if you look at the population of residents of long-term care facilities, you combine that with the amount of staff, you combine that with hospital staff, support staff, and the amount of physicians, nurses, and other healthcare professionals in the United States, you come up with a lot more than 24 million people. So Mm -hmm. the problem is with phase 1A is that we've sort of got this goal that at face value appears to be the right decision. Right. Mm -hmm. And the problem is, is that there's no recommendation as to how to actually implement that decision. And at the end of the day, what we're going to be faced with is the fact that we might see people saying, "Okay, phase one A is complete. Mission accomplished. Mm -hmm. And that might mean that like a bunch of dermatologists got the vaccine and a bunch of hospital workers cleaning, you know, ICU rooms didn't. Right. And that is fundamentally an issue because there's absolutely nothing in here that gives any indication as to how to prioritize based on risk within these phase groups, based on exposure risk, based on, you know, necessity to keep the healthcare infrastructure running at a bare minimum. Um, So it's really going to be left up to states to enforce this and to, you know, the medical institutions themselves to 
do good on their employees and make sure to prioritize the people that should be prioritized instead of letting some of their, you know, senior physicians who might not have contact with COVID patients get the vaccine because they want it. I I, I would also just emphasize here, uh, there are a couple things that I think are relevant. Um, One is that these are advisory guidelines. Yep. Mm -hmm. They're not binding on states, right? They're probably going to shape the sort of broader distribution plan, but states are already, there's already conflict over who will even get to set the guidelines. Mm -hmm. So for example, in Wisconsin, the esteemed state assembly (laughs) has already introduced legislation that says that a uh, select committee of 12 Republicans and four Democrats gets veto authority (laughs) on whatever vaccine distribution plan the uh, Department of uh, Health, uh, you know, sees fit to put out. And so like, there, there are going to be these choices that states make that they could deviate from this in ways that I, I don't know. I, I think one of my worries is that this plan, you know, even under these conditions of scarcity, just becomes a sort of um, an eyewash to say, look, we're getting the vaccine out. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like virtual policy. Like we're getting the <laughs> vaccine out. Now everything can go back. Right. Right. And uh, and, and like we definitely don't need to do anything. Uh, more and and that's like that is my greatest uh, fear about what this scarcity does is in in the absence of sort of actual um, sort of coordination of national supply uh, these very incremental dribs and drabs of the vaccine then become sort of uh, part part of like the the political theater of mm-hmm. of COVID nineteen. Yeah, exactly. And I, I mean, I think, you know, regardless of these very small um, and as you're saying, Phil, non-binding recommendations, the news of the vaccine approval is being treated as if it's a massive nationwide rollout, you know, like right. the idea that like, oh, OK, vaccine is coming. First dose is December 15th. That means by summer we'll be good to go. Yeah, And that right. absolutely ignores how long it takes to make this stuff. Also, not even uh, not even by summer. I mean, you see, I think a lot of like just in terms of incidental observations of like how people are taking this colloquially on mm-hmm. on Twitter, for example, um, you know, I'm seeing a lot of like, okay, I guess I got to isolate for another two or three months. Like it's gonna, like, I'll be, you know, I'll, it, it'll be, it'll be fine after, after then. And it's like, probably not. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> kind of the thing. Like, I, you know, obviously we don't want to like rain on anyone's parade here, but that is often what we end up having to do. But like, right. really, I mean, people should, uh, people should, uh, modify their expectations for obviously, you know, I think just two weeks ago, as I mentioned with the episode that we talked about, uh, the Pfizer and Moderna MRNA vaccines and how, uh, you know, if the, if the trends that they put out in the, again, emphasizing press release, uh, that displayed like, you know, the, the data on the vaccines that people still haven't seen, but that exists in this press release form, if that, if that data on, efficacy like continues to bear out as it gets rolled out to a larger sample size Mm -hmm. um then you know that'll be a huge advancement uh considering Mm -hmm. especially you know people have like talked about the astrazeneca vaccine a lot recently and it's like very funny because uh 70 percent the 70 percent efficacy figure that they arrived at is being looked at as some sort of failure whereas if that if that alone had been announced as a press release without like in a universe where the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines had not been, like mm-hmm. this would be hailed as like a huge achievement. We'd be like, Oh right. great. There's actually a vaccine. Uh, but instead it's like, Oh, that's, that's the one that you don't want to get or something. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Um, but the, we still don't know. And there is not data on 
whether it prevents uh infection mm-hmm. at all or whether it just whether either of these any of these vaccines just prevent disease because it's much more difficult or to get the, the data severity of the disease, right or lessen right. the severity of the disease so like you know while we don't know if that will stop transmission as opposed to just like stopping disease progression in those who are vaccinated right mm-hmm. you know so like other than that big caveat we can be mostly i think uh optimistic but then when you actually look at what the when 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 that uh you know technological development hits the political economy of the United States <laughs> and the and and globally too i mean this is a huge you know we'll we'll talk about this but like obviously mm-hmm. these vaccines like the Pfizer and Moderna vaccine in particular are being rolled out are going to be rolled up particularly to you know a handful of like very wealthy countries who pre-secured allotments uh and who are going to take or who are going to like you know suck up the supply of these things over the Mm-hmm. rest of the world because the you know international patent system sucks basically mm-hmm. um yeah i mean I, I think one of the things too on on top of obvious issues about you know supply chain and how long it's going to take is that it, we've we've had a lot of people asking us like okay so when are we going to know if it prevents infection right <laughs> and and ultimately i think one thing that's just not being communicated well to the general public which um this is like i think a failure of cdc nih the companies themselves and the media Um, Mm -hmm. is the fact that designing these studies takes time. We don't have the resources to actually study all aspects of how uh, vaccines affect people. And we won't have that information until these vaccines hit phase four trials, which is the sort of longevity studies, right? Which is going to be once we've got a lot more than this first rollout going out. So I I think, you know, while it's great to be... um, optimistic and while it's good that these vaccines are working it seems like this is great news because there was no guarantee that mrna vaccines were going to work right because this is new technology Mm -hmm. i just don't think that we have enough data right now to be sure about anything except for potentially protecting people in icus in order to stop massive waves of like sickness and death that are going to happen among doctors if we don't uh my, my point is, again, so colloquially, these things are being taken as like it's going to be here in two or three months. That will that can very easily uh, turn very toxic when it gets turned towards, oh, well, I guess, you know, we, we can be safe, but we don't have to be that safe or whatever. We don't have to do that many mm-hmm. restrictions like we can. We know that we're like right. We, we think that we're right on the horizon of some of like mass vaccination and ergo, like we can relax certain things. I mean, I, I think a really good example is the um, like the CDC quarantine thing that they announced which is you know they're they're talking about shrinking the uh again suggested uh Mm -hmm. quarantine uh length after exposure from 14 days to seven to ten days and not for any like medical like not for reasons of medical evidence or any scientific reasoning uh apparently like it's being described as a effort to boost compliance yeah it's like pleading with people please if we make it shorter will you just do it right whereas (laughs) meanwhile the chinese government is like weighing whether they should extend the 14 day period to 21 days because you know because like based on evidence of how things can how long it can take to incubate sometimes it just makes it more safe so Mm -hmm. no i mean i i think the like it's worth making this distinction, which is that it is not a question of optimism versus pessimism. It's just a question of exactly what sense do we make of the fact that the vaccine is out there. And like for me, it's this is great, uh, but don't take this as an indication of now we can just 
we're we're reverting back to normal. Mm-hmm. We're going to have a v, V-shaped recovery. Um, <laughs> you know, we're, we're like because because that is actually the way that uh, certainly investors and I think policymakers that would like to defer action um, want to take it. And, and and so, like, it's not a question of like, oh, I'm, I'm just, you know, a complete cynic about, you know, the ability of, uh, you know, v- vaccines to like, uh, you know, ha- have a transformative effect on this on the pandemic. It's just a question of like, this doesn't get you this doesn't allow you to defer uh, prevention. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's important because there is so much mistrust in vaccines because the anti-vaxxer movement is one of like the biggest ideological hurdles that the modern medical profession faces. It's important to not fuck this up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like the the mischaracterization of the vaccine availability is going to contribute to distrust in the vaccine's efficacy. There is something that they design for in these vaccine studies where they they try and design around changes in behavior. Right. So Mm -hmm. you've got the double blind group where you've got one group that's getting a placebo. You've got one group that's getting the vaccine. Right. This is evidence based medicine. It's pretty standard. Mm -hmm. They have, you know, medical ethics boards have have gathered to discuss whether it's okay to unblind the studies early once they've got, you know, phase three trials completed. Normally, people in these trials are going to be followed for three, four years sometimes to just see how over time you know, the vaccine holds up, but Mm -hmm. they're saying because of the pandemic, is it unethical to leave the studies blinded for the full amount of time? And some people have said, no, we've got to unblind it as soon as they're approved, get everyone vaccinated, which again, ignores the fact that that's not really the stock availability option that we've got, that we're working with. But, Mm -hmm. you know, the issue that that then arises is behavior, right? If you give everyone in a study the uh, vaccine and no placebos, right? People are going to know they're the, they got the vaccine and that's going to impact their behavior. They will be less safe. This is the same thing that we've been talking about with motivated reasoning. And this and is why stacked the, with not having a control group anymore. Right. It's like, it's okay. going to be a disaster. Yeah. And these are the kinds of things that people are advocating for. And the downstream effect of this is that we have a brand new technology that's really promising that people have been working on really hard, right? mRNA vaccines could be revolutionary for biomedical science. If we fuck this up, this will not get off the ground. This Mm -hmm. will not, in a long-term way, change science. This will not change medicine if we fuck up the way that it rolls out in COVID. You know what I mean? It's just the risk is so high and people are being so reckless with how they characterize it. Yeah. Hello. At this exact moment, We lost Phil due to a technical error and we neglected to get a good explanation of this on the recording. So here I am in post. We now return you to your program. Already in progress. In some ways, the the thing that's like sort of uh, the most ridiculous is obviously we have, you know, we're we're in a situation where during this like um, lame duck period, there's like practically nothing uh, happening really. I mean, I I know there are always like uh, people are wrangling about like whether there'll be another, uh, you know, COVID stimulus or or whatever before before Trump Mm -hmm. is out of office. But like, you know, whatever that goes. So so that goes back and forth so much like on a daily basis that it's it's practically not worth actually even, uh, you you know, analyzing until it actually even happens, I guess. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if if, for example, uh, yeah, if like Congress doesn't allocate money to states before the vaccine starts rolling out and if the vaccine 
and not just the vaccine because that's that's a way that, that i think that like trips people up a lot because they're obviously like several right so mm-hmm. the pfizer vaccine for example they're going to meet on december 10th to decide whether the emergency use authorization will go through apparently basically if that happens and right after that the uh like first doses will start being delivered out to states um you know obviously it sounds like then that will happen before any money is allocated to actually do it so then mm-hmm. with these guidelines in place uh and and then also the moderna vaccine is going to be decided on the 17th i guess december 17th uh in a similar fashion uh same like same deal if the emergency use authorization goes through then they'll start like right after that basically putting it out um mm-hmm. but then if um you know if that if those start going out to states and uh, you know per what we just talked about with this like prioritization list right um that the cdc put out you know i would i would be surprised if states didn't do stuff like you know say i i'm certain for example that states that pretty much every state uh will you know have the wherewithal to at the very least you know vaccinate their like er workers as the as the first wave i'm not like particularly concerned Mm -hmm. about that but i do think that considering the like flexibility that's allowed uh not that's allowed but the flexibility that's sort of inherent in these cdc guidelines because as phil mentioned they're non-binding they're like you know these are recommendations to states which then ultimately it's up to governors and other people who uh we know very well you know from the last year uh are you know not particularly great at making public health decisions um <laughs> from top to bottom no matter who like every single all 50 of them plus the people in the territories like not particularly great at public health decisions um but uh let me put it this way considering the fact that you have these these things going out there's no money for the allocation of it these things do have to go somewhere they have a shelf life they have to be stored in certain places and you do have a lot of like there was a there was a Forbes uh, article last week that was titled "As Some States Brace for Next Lockdown: The Fashion and Celebrity Set Embrace Luxury Healthcare," which was about a company called Soulless Healthcare, uh, not Soulless S O L L I S. Really close though. Really close. My particular American dialect makes it you know that's just bleeds together. Soulless. Soulless Healthcare. Uh, which is basically like imagine um, like Equinox or Soul Cycle, but for an ER or urgent <laughs> care. Actually, it's like uh, City M- City MD, but fancy, and it costs. It has a it has like a five thousand or six thousand dollar a year uh, subscription fee. Um, Everybody's hot. Because They're always trying to recruit you, and there's green juice everywhere. I was gonna say that sounds that cheaper it. than my Medicare donut hole. The if you read. The, I mean, <laughs> Well, you, Solis might be for you. I mean, if you if you read the if you read this article about Solis, they're talking about all the celebrities who who uh, get their get their care there, and they talk about like uh, yeah, like yeah, they do. I mean, it, it is stuff like you, you were joking about the green juice, but that's basically the vibe. Is like you know, I very much was not joking. Yeah, it's about obviously the green like, juice. yeah, but it, you know, it's uh, it's you know, it's yeah, stuff like green juice, and they say like um, you know, in, instead of being in a in a sterile ER. Uh, or, or whatever, uh, you're, you know, you're ushered in, you, you don't have a wait time and you're ushered into a room with like a Chuck Close painting and it's like, <laughs> you couldn't That's... get good art. For, you could like, uh, anyway, very funny to me that their, their call See, out is Chuck to, Close paintings. We need to turn just, to the, you know, oceanic model of healthcare, like Mickey Willis of Plandemic was saying, right. you just have to Come. look to the ocean instead of having, you know, a sterile environment to perform surgery we should be performing surgery in open fields so that the wildflowers can propagate within your internal You're viscera. Me that the ocean, aka nature, 
can't solve the coronavirus. Just kidding. Anyway, but so I, 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 I digress though, because so all this stuff about all this stuff about soulless healthcare, um, they, the, like the, the kind of coda of the article is they asked them, oh, and you know, does this extend to, will you be able to offer your clients vaccines early? And the, the guy's basically like, we're working on it. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I, I would, I would be shocked if you do not see, I mean, obviously, you know, knowing how the, how the NIH is right now, I'm sure that like a bunch of celebrities will start getting vaccines early as a, as a, I mean, you know, B mentioned the fucking Obama and Bush and Clinton. They're not thing, healthcare right? workers. Last I checked. I know they're not healthcare workers, but like, you know, I'm sure that they'll do some, you know, you could, you could see a, uh, like Travis Scott vaccine edition or something, <laughs> but like, you know what I mean? Like a Travis whatever. Scott X McDonald's. <laughs> X BioNTech. He makes a Pfizer commercial or whatever. Yeah, but yeah. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, there's there's so much conflicting stuff going out there because you know, allegedly the best case recommendations is we gotta give these doses to healthcare workers, right? Um, but then you also have reports coming out that people who are at you know Federal Bureau of Prisons are being prompted yeah. to mm-hmm. expect to be able to vaccinate staff. You have people but in not. But not uh, the incarcerated. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. No, exactly. And and you have the expectation from some people that people in the federal government are going to get, you know, vaccinated, that rich people are going to get vaccinated. And this absolutely ignores the fact that, again, it takes time to replicate the mRNA to make yeah. the vaccine. And it's mm-hmm. just not going to happen that quickly. So I don't understand why there's all this conflicting reporting as if there is like a bottomless bogo bin of vaccines like if you buy one you'll get a whole you know set of vac i don't know you know what i mean let's let's pause on the on the federal prisons thing though really Mm -hmm. quick because i think uh you know obviously prisons any sites of incarceration including nursing homes um Mm -hmm. are are have been huge uh vectors of spread for the pandemic uh over the entire course of it the federal government has obviously has announced that one of the priority sites for them to uh, start rolling out the vaccine will be to federal prisons, um, only to staff and, you know, prison guards, shit like that, which is really grotesque, really mm-hmm. obviously grotesque. And, you know, belies the fact that like, they obviously don't care about any of the people who are incarcerated as people. Uh, right. But then when asked about it on top of that, um, some of, some of the statements given are like, well, the prisoners don't have any, like contact with the general public. Well, yeah, but I mean, that's kind of what they're getting to, but they say like, right, they're only going to die in prison because of the fucking pandemic. Right. Um, which I just want to, which very important to, to point out, throw back to one of my favorite papers to be, uh, released over the course of this pandemic so far. Uh, we did an episode titled after it, even over the summer incarceration and its disseminations, Mm -hmm. uh, which was, I think in health affairs, right. I think so. Which, uh, which looked at, uh, Obviously, it's not a federal prison, but they looked. It looked at uh, Cook County Jail mm-hmm. in Illinois, and showed that I don't have the percentage in front of me. But it was it was some huge percent, like over sixty percent of uh, of infections at that point in the pandemic could be traced to jail cycling. Right um, within through, the entire state of Illinois. Within yeah, sixty percent of infections, over sixty percent within like the entire state of Illinois itself. So you know this like people uh, obviously you know. Prisons are like, they're like practically a fucking machine for producing infections, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, You, and then like people 
cycling in and out of them you know they have they go back into their communities they like right well there uh, is community spread that happens uh, you know well and and i i also think it's like worth thinking about just like the paradigm of like okay well we're gonna you know we're gonna vaccinate the prison guards and and not the prisoners because like they're obviously interchangeable but like you know without prison guards you like no longer have the functioning of the system as it's like constituted i kind of think that that logic just pretty much gets like replicated for it like in all of these other instances just exactly the same you know way in nursing homes and like yeah you know grocery stores and like yeah that's that's the same we're just using this exact same carceral logic to figure out how we're disseminating the vaccines everywhere it's so fucked up Foucault is fucking popping locking in his grave right now. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I mean <laughs> that image. I'm sorry. <laughs> just like be he was doing that spinning, before, okay? but <clears throat> yeah. I thought you know, just pulling out his hair and silently screaming. The man had but, no hair to pull out. That's the whole point. I don't know. You grow hair when you die. <laughs> He's so. blind, fenced. Yeah, true. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think. This is an important point because there's there's like, you know, this sort of logic that, okay, we're going to suddenly have enough uh, everywhere to Mm -hmm. uh, vaccinate the structures that are needed. And and the way that we vaccinate within the healthcare system is really important. And the thing that I'm not totally sure how it's going to work out is the fact that we have a bunch of healthcare workers who are crossing state lines. Right. Because Mm -hmm. you have hospitals that are running out of money and and firing nurses who work on elective procedures who are then Mm -hmm. being hired to come in and work in a surge capacity in a different state. Like there's a thing going on between Colorado and Utah where there are just nurses like cycling through where Mm -hmm. you're getting, you know, essentially staff is being pulled from rural hospitals, which already need the fucking help. And they're being offered, you know, three times, four times the weekly pay to go into a major metro area. So you have this sort of shift of expertise and care and staffing away from where it's most needed, which is, you know, low income and rural areas into more affluent areas, then you're going to have obviously the prioritization of the um, vaccine distribution if it actually does go to healthcare workers first, right? There Mm -hmm. is absolutely nothing stopping, you know, a private practice physician who's, who's not seeing sick patients from getting it before a, um, you know, orderly in an ICU. And that is ultimately, you know, statistical genocide, not just for the staff, but this is going to have major downstream effects on hospital capacity in rural areas and in underserved areas. Because really, when we talk about hospital capacity, people, I think, are used to thinking like, how many ventilators do we have? How many physical beds? What's the square footage of the hospital? But, Mm -hmm. But there's a bigger component of hospital capacity, which is actually physical human beings in the hospital providing care. Nurses can only care for so many patients at once. Doctors can only have so many people in their service at once. You know, ICU workers can only clean so quickly, right? And Mm -hmm. this is a major problem. And and when we talk about hospital capacity, what we're really talking about um, is running out of people to staff it. And, um, you know, when you hear, you know, the Federal Bureau of Prisons being like, yeah, we're part of Operation Warp Speed. Our guards are going to get it. It's like, wow, how many people are going to die as a result of this, you know, being allocated to prisons instead of being allocated to hospital staff workers? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you can imagine, I I guess, to that point, watch for the, unfortunately, I think, inevitable uh, situation where 
publicly, I don't know, like Dr. Oz has gotten like mm-hmm. the Moderna vaccine and probably uh, on TV and live re- and reports uh, are coming out of like hospital transport workers, for instance, like not being offered the vaccine. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. No, and I, I don't think people realize, you know, I was talking about this on Twitter. I don't think people realize like how many um, doctors and healthcare workers are dying right now and how big of an impact that is not just on the immediate hospital capacity, but on patients like me. Um, I was talking to one of my doctors, a colleague of his passed away, who's a neurologist who, um, you know, that's a, that's a doctor who is working in an, you know, an emergency capacity, but who also has a full load of patients. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you have people like me who have spent a decade putting a care team together. And because of misallocation of the vaccine, we are losing talent we are losing generational knowledge going to at least yeah we're additional. actively losing and yeah. it will get worse right? right and and you know we have a in the united states especially we already have like a broken unequal distribution of healthcare workers right it's mm-hmm. it's an absolute travesty and unacceptable but you know the the ramifications of what's happening now is going to change care for decades to come it's going to change the way that we educate providers you know we've already had a year of medical students completely disrupted in their studies, right? You have you have uh, nursing students disrupted. You have radiology students disrupted. This is a big problem. And vaccinating healthcare workers and healthcare students actually should be a priority in order to maintain the like educational continuum required to keep the healthcare system running. And that's just not something that's being talked about or prioritized. Everyone's way more worried about being able to go to brunch and do outdoor dining than they are about, well, are we making sure that there's people who can operate x-ray machines in two years or are we just going to kill them all and call it a day and hope that we invent a robot that can do it by then? Well, the, yeah, the, uh, the, uh, policy drumbeat of the Biden administration could change very swiftly from learn to code to, uh, learn to radiology, right? Right. Exactly. (laughs) Um, And I mean, it's not that they're like bad shitty doctors that are dying either these are like the good like some of the best doctors are dying because they're good doctors doing good fucking work and trying really hard to save people right now and so mm-hmm. you yeah, know that the, talent loss they're not is the doctors extreme. who are doctors who don't actually practice but write like five books a year about echinacea or something mm-hmm. yeah. or like i was <laughs> i was using the example of fucking mark siegel who likes to get on fox news and as i said eat hot chip and lie um on fox news instead of you know seeing patients yeah i also heard mm-hmm. he likes to store medical supplies in milano containers in his office but i won't tell you where i heard that <laughs> so yes that is a secret to be kept with where the, the fuck does he store his milanos <laughs> It's impossible to hate them. So, <laughs> I think since so we've been on uh, on vaccines for a while, and I do think uh, we should move on soon. But I do have one kind of big uh, big wrinkle that I was looking into that I want to share. That is just something that just when we talk about um, we, we've we've gestured a lot this episode so far to like you know limitations in production mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And I do want to point out pretty glaring uh problem Mm -hmm. with uh the way that like production is going to be done and like again some of the basics of like how the political economy of not just the united states but like you know global capitalism basically is going to interact with this so well okay so here's the here's the thing we've we've been talking primarily obviously there are three uh vaccine candidates that people have been uh talking Mm -hmm. about a lot there's uh the pfizer one which uh was the pfizer BioNTech one which was uh just uh, approved by the UK, um, and which 
looks like it will probably be, uh, you know, by the end of next week approved and starting to roll out in the United States. There's the Moderna vaccine, uh, which is also an mRNA vaccine. Again, go back and listen to our episode about how those work. It's kind of fascinating. Um, it is really cool. And there's the AstraZeneca vaccine. But I, I do want to point out one thing about uh, the Moderna vaccine, which we have not talked about on the show, really, which is kind of off brand for us, considering that we've talked a lot about, you know, seizing patents and stuff, mm-hmm. you know, about how like mm-hmm. how global pharmaceutical production should be socialized at an international level. So like mm-hmm. there's something really interesting with going on with the intellectual property uh, issues around the Moderna vaccine. Um, so basically, unlike Pfizer, which did not take uh, government mon- money for the development or for the studies for their mRNA vaccine, uh, Moderna took a substantial sum from uh, BARDA, the Bio- uh, Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority, which is part of HHS, mm-hmm. um, about a billion dollars, actually. Um, to which the point makes sense because they're a smaller company than right. Pfizer. Yeah, they're, they're mm-hmm. like a really they're like a small startup company. You know, they don't have the startup costs innately to do a billion dollar yeah, they don't uh, have a bunch of cash cow drugs that they can just divert the profits into right. you know yeah exactly. cash cow vaccines exactly um you know pfizer pfizer uh it's a long-running very <laughs> profitable uh massive international pharmaceutical manufacturer they have the cash on hand is what you're trying to say right, they have the cash <laughs> on hand uh so moderna on the other hand um they took a bunch of funding from BARDA to the point that uh, in the initial press release in April, which the, the language of which has since been changed, but in the original press release that Moderna put out in April, uh, it said uh, that, quote, uh, BARDA will fund the advancement of mRNA-1273, which is the, uh, the, that's the Moderna vaccine, to FDA licensure. And they have uh, made clear the extent of BARDA's 100% funding of the program. That language has been removed Hmm. since. But in the original uh, press release, they essentially said that BARDA 100% was was funding 100% of the cost of the of the development and ultimately the, the manufacturing testing. Oh, yeah. no, the testing, sorry, the study, like the, the efficacy mm-hmm. study. Um, on top of that, uh, it was revealed in June by public citizen that there are a number of legal documents that are agreements between the NIH and Moderna, uh, which are redacted, but which appear to be similar to other documents, uh, like from from previous work that Moderna had done with the NIH, which were about like um, their research on the on MERS uh, Mm -hmm. and trying to do a MERS Mm -hmm. vaccine. But there are a bunch of redacted documents, essentially, that seem to point to the fact that the NIH itself may co-own the intellectual property Hmm. to the Moderna Hmm. vaccine. Again, this is not for certain, but the the documents appear to be like the the language is very similar. There's no reason to really think that they, especially if they're getting a billion dollars from Barda, that there wouldn't have been a similar agreement to the previous agreements that they had already basically had uh, with with, with mm-hmm. like other research that they've uh, that they have done. It, so it it appears it is yet to be proven, but it appears uh, that the NIH might, NIH may co own. Uh, the vaccine. This is extremely important and not for the bee's been mentioning pandemic in this episode. And I guess we'll have to unlock that one soon because, uh, true. Yeah. We, so there's a, there's a, uh, there's a Patreon episode where we talk about pandemic two in doctor nation, not, <laughs> not indoctrination in doctor nation, um, where, where they Do you talk get about it? like, Do you get oh, it yet? <laughs> right, where they talk about like, Oh, the, like the NIH is profiteering off of, uh, intellectual property on the, on vaccines and like, it's all bullshit. And we'd explain why. Uh, so it, I'm not, I'm not saying, like oh the NIH like owns the intellectual property what I am saying is 
the NIH may co-own the intellectual property to the vaccine, which means that it could then license it out to whoever it wants or say that there will be no intellectual property protections or whatever and say, like, you know, any facility that can that can produce this vaccine to the standards will uh, even like pay you know, pay facilities to do it, set up facilities to, to manufacture it, et cetera. Essentially the, well, one, the United States as a federal government could, uh, could get involved in, you know, directly standing up a ton more manufacturer than, uh, manufacturer mm-hmm. of this vaccine than whatever Moderna is going to do. And two, you know, they could basically, uh, make it possible for this to also happen concurrently in, whatever other countries in the world can do it all over the world world could do it. So like, and, and, and distribute it. So the thing is, even if so that, and that's, I'm, I'm, that's in the case, obviously that it's, that it is true that like the NIH, uh, you know, co-owns, uh, this vaccine, which like, or the, like the patents to this vaccine, which would, which will like bear out over time. Like we will find that out over time, almost certainly like, um, Mm This, I'm, I'm certain this will be found out. Like this is too high profile of a thing to stay for those documents to like stay buried for that long. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing though is even if the NIH doesn't co-own the patent with Moderna, because BARDA paid a billion dollars mm-hmm. towards the de- initial development and towards the uh, and towards the uh, the studies, the research on the on like whether the vaccine has efficacy or not. Under the Bayh-Dole Act, the uh, the government can exercise what are called march-in rights to say, we're like, okay, sure, whatever, you you did this, but like we paid for it with uh, with public dollars, so we can do all the same stuff I was still mentioning, just like you know, mm-hmm. both stand up uh, manufacturing, uh, you know, domestically in the United States, and say, okay, all these other countries, here's how you do it, just go ahead, go ahead, just make it, make Which it. Which is great, it. actually, because um, the Moderna vaccine does not have the same refrigeration and freezing, mm-hmm. like low temperature right. requirements that the Pfizer vaccine exactly. has, and these Pfizer vaccines, which are you know need, I think it's negative ninety four degrees Fahrenheit. Those mm-hmm. refrigerators can cost up to fifty thousand dollars each. Right. Which is like obviously, which is like, why we bought stock in all of the companies that make super cold refrigerators. <laughs> For warmer countries, the more expensive the freezers are needed, and like you know, there tends to be the warmer the country, the lower the like actual like capital that the right. government has. So, so yeah, but so unfortunately, I mean, marching rights have never been actually exercised. Like this is a law that has never been used. This is a huge point of contention. It's the same principle that the contemporary iteration of ACT UP has been using to try and break the Truvada patent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, my, my point is, so this has never been uh, done, but this is like the time when this absolutely like, again, if the NIH doesn't co-own, if the NIH co-owns the intellectual property, they sh- and then if it is approved for an emergency use authorization and they decide this is, we're going to roll this out again, you know, as B mentioned, it's easier, it's profoundly easier to store than the Pfizer vaccine, which has mm-hmm. to be stored at like negative 70 Celsius, which is like negative 95 degrees. Think of all the people like, who would be trained in the manufacturing and development of these vaccines too. Yeah, and what, right, what benefit exactly. that would be globally to creating a sort of decentralized global vaccine research network, which is like vastly needed. mRNA vaccines could have a huge impact on diseases that are still a huge problem, right? Right. Like, you know, people still get fucking polio. So in general, just saying this is like, this is a, this is a very tangible demand that I think needs to be made. And I think the, the current course of things is really untenable because for, Mm -hmm. for Moderna's part, they have not 
responded to this uh, very much, except to have said they issued some statement over the summer sometime after the uh, public citizen news broke that they uh, Moderna would not um, would not enforce their intellectual property during the duration of the pandemic. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But that means one by what I'm saying, it should not be up to them. Frankly, at this point, like there's no, and it may not be, this is a thing of, you know, this is a thing that's significant to like the entirety of the fucking like global population, not to like the fucking profits of one individual company who can get fucked. But my point is that like, uh, how to, like not only should it not be, um, up to them, but you, (laughs) with that wording, you can very easily see a situation where, uh, you know, they allied some sort of, um, you know, like force, uh, some sort of like forceful U S like federal government response basically. Uh, and instead then in, I don't know, six months, a year, two years when, you know, the, the pandemic is quote unquote officially over, (laughs) but like the virus is still around and maybe, you know, we just still don't know how long these vaccines work for preventing mm-hmm. disease. If they, if, it's going to take a work. couple of years to find out. So too. like, yeah, so we don't know how long the immunity lasts to the degree that it does. And so you could see, oh, so do you need to get like another vaccine over mm-hmm. at, like, oh, like in a couple in like a year and in, in what X period, Is it going to be like a time? flu vaccine, but right. then, two doses per year? So what then right. Moderna decides that it's going to profit off of all of that because the pandemic is over. Like, you know what I mean? It's well, this is um, it shouldn't be dependent on Moderna to have like a good conscience yeah. and to like release their property to the world. It's you a know classic what I mean? story, though, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Artie, I think that's a good point and i think it also makes a good case for like the urgency of doing this and pushing for this like right now yeah i mean it'll be very interesting to see how this plays out in the long term to be honest i'm i'm curious how this could to like completely change drug development for the better or worse actually (laughs) can go either way right now (laughs) um moving on to to other horrors across the globe uh let's check in on the uk because there was a absolutely horrific landmark ruling this week um by the court which basically blocks transgender children from receiving hormone blockers um this is a case that has been you know in the news since uh, i think it was late summer summer and fall when i sat down with jules gleason um, become a patron, check out that interview. She and I talked about that case in the context of an article that she wrote uh, for Salvage with Jay and Hode. That's fantastic. Highly recommend that interview. But the case has been decided. And essentially what's happened is they've used the uh, circumstances of one single patient and a study done on sheep <laughs> to block Fuck access to sheep. healthcare. Well, it's, fu- it's funny because the I think... The the substance of the case is they're trying to prove that uh, like kids can't make substantive decisions on these things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then the stuff that they're bringing up, like the the case on sheep, the study on sheep that they're citing. I mean, if I mean, I'm not actually sure. It, it seems a bit unclear which specific study they're citing. But I have noticed uh, that I, I basically like did a very how to put it, uh, it's like soul crushing dig <laughs> into some of these, like, okay, just going to say it U- UK, like you fuck Britain. What the fuck is going on? You have way too many fucking turf blogs. What the fuck? Is, like, <laughs> fuck you. Anyway, like, but there are actually like so many, so many of these sources like cite these weird sheep studies. And can I just 
like okay there there are a couple th- there are at least two that i identified that might be what they're talking about and can i just like read the titles re- no not the titles can i just read the like the summation of some of these because they're like okay <laughs> sure so they're saying for a study in 2019 uh, in an animal study sheep study with prepubertal uh pubertal peripubertal <laughs> that can't be right <laughs> pre, I'm, I'm reading pre. Oh, okay. with uh with prepubertal uh castrated sheep researchers reported an impairment in long-term spatial memory <laughs> that was not reversed by subsequent hormone replacement treatment additionally a global iq decrease was reported in sheep uh first of all <laughs> Like you're testing sheep IQ, yeah. Like, but al- but also like, okay. So you're basically saying, I'm sorry. the The whole thing it's smacks so- of this like fucking eugenics thing of like, well, if a tra- if a child wants to become trans, then they're gonna get dumb because like, I'm, like I mean, you know some of I mean? the like, early eugenics like studies um, that informed policies about people were based on fruit flies. So I guess this kind of tracks. <laughs> yeah, the kids transition; uh, they won't be able to find their way back to their food pen. <laughs> Um, another one says uh, another one from 2009 uh, this foundational study on sheep uh, revealed (laughs) that exposure of the prepubertal lamb to blockers led to an observable increase in the size of the amygdala uh, okay. That activities of a large number of genes in the amygdala and hippocampus were, were altered by the blockers and, uh, some of aspects of brain function were quote unquote disturbed. So like, I mean, the fact that this is being like portrayed as, um, like I was listening to the economist blog, which like breathlessly within 24 hours, uh, sorry, the economist podcast breathlessly within 24 hours had released an update on the case because, you know, the economist is the arbiter of, you know, children's health in the world. Um, as they, they, they literally framed it as a, a landmark children's rights ruling. And that's the way that it's being framed a lot. And they're using just one fucking case of someone who started transitioning over the age of 18 plus sheep to restrict access to care after essentially a decade of using administrative burdens to make it more and more and more difficult within the UK to get care. Yeah, it It's fucking cruel. Mm-hmm. It is um, absolutely arbitrary. And yet it is being celebrated across the UK as a victory landmark victory for children's Mm -hmm. rights Mm -hmm. um it's being framed like this can somehow now um apply as precedent in other countries and i think that that's something that's like absolutely not only disgusting but incredibly dangerous because Mm -hmm. it's the sort of like idea that fucking with hormones can like create lasting effects in human healthcare is something we actually haven't even studied. (laughs) So, you know, I think using animal studies, using these, these, uh, rhetorical stretches is obviously like a pattern, um, that people have used for decades to try and restrict access to healthcare, be it for cancer treatment or transition or whatever. But, you know, it's, it's really starting to be codified into like a real mom and pop industry within the UK that's being exported all over the world. So I think Mm -hmm. it's just important to like keep an eye on these developments and, there is some vague ruling within the case that that leaves room for appeal but the situation as it stands right now is that there are already thousands of people have been waiting years for this treatment who are now just wholesale being blocked from their treatment until they're 18 Mm -hmm. and those people will probably you know age out 
by the time that the appeal is through. And Mm -hmm. this is the way that we like to, you know, tell people that they're worthless through denying them health care. And and creating and recreating arbitrary fucking rules uh, that that make it impossible to navigate like a just sea of bureaucracy to like get health care because that's uh, that's exactly what somebody who needs care is uh, has time and energy and uh, the bandwidth to deal with. Yeah. I mean, in a way, this entire uh, everything that we've been talking about uh, today so far is just one really big good argument for health communism in my opinion (laughs) because and let me explain what i what i mean by that because i think this is a bit i know that we're talking about the like the uk here but i just want to like pause for for a second to talk about like for example one rhetorical tick of certain parts of the american left which is uh i guess i think like actually really really well exemplified by stuff like um throughout both the 2016 and 2020 uh election cycles prominently like the Bernie Sanders campaign, for example, saying, uh, oh, well, you know, if uh, like every advanced country in the world has, uh, you know, has, has like universal health care, right? right? Like every every uh, other country in the world has like, uh, you know, be- like better health care than us, has, every has free health care. Yeah, what, like whatever. Yeah, exactly. They say like developed nation or or some some people say like, every every like all all the major western countries or whatever (laughs) which is even grosser um but and sure but this makes me reflect on how how like frustrated i get by those arguments because if you actually if you say you know one one can point to like canada let's say and say like oh well like drugs are cheaper in canada well people still have to pay for drugs in canada also it's like <laughs> right. difficult it's very di- it can they're be- not covered under the national health insurance you have to buy right. a separate private plan for your drug coverage for your mm. optometry for your dentistry it's bullshit it's also extremely difficult to like uh get care they have different like huge variations in the system across different like provinces uh mm-hmm. in canada not to mention if you're like first nations for example is like whole like uh you know know, issues with that much like here in the united states um but and then also like you know in the in the uk we've talked we've talked about the nhs's problems uh before and yes like there's a lot obviously to be there's a lot about the quote-unquote socialized medicine systems of other countries that like is to be celebrated but the the pure fact is like you know like you hear the you hear the the commentary all the time that's like oh well like if you have socialized medicine socialized like socialized medicine leads to communism right that's like mm-hmm. the onboard to communism I mean fuck like uh, what's her if name if only like even even like Betsy DeVos said that of education just this week right <laughs> she was like you know something about like public education is like she communism runs the or something. fucking public schools. Yeah, well, she <laughs> she runs. Trying not she's to. A high, she's a high profile advocate for charter schools, Vince. Yeah, That's <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, you mean school choice, already? Yeah, yeah. school choice, whatever. <laughs> um, but <laughs> if those people were right, then you know, it, like if, if both of these happen. things were right, well, if, if both of these people, well, not this shit wouldn't happen. If both of these people were right, that like both, uh, you know, all like every other country has socialized medicine, and that socialized medicine leads to communism, then you would see like a lot more communism in the world, right? Uh, but you certainly don't. Uh, and part of that is because socialized medicine does not, like the the problem with systems like, again, you know, Canada's or especially like stuff like this bullshit in the UK mm-hmm. is like, what what is the fucking point of doing, of having like a socialized medicine system if the, if the entire system is designed around, again, in a very sort of eugenic sort of way, some sort of like median biological existence or whatever some sort of like normality norm or standard of like 
what is an acceptable biological presentation, right? Mm -hmm. Like you have to, if you're going to actually do a socialized medicine system, which is why I don't think that you could, that one actually exists in the, in the world as people like think of it as like whatever socialized medicine would be. If you were actually going to do a socialized medicine system, you have to like account for every fucking, you have to like, you can't do the, uh, like what is the what's the thing actually that like abolitionists say right? The you can't non, just non, focus thing. on the non, 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 non this, non that, non non-violent. That. Yeah, yeah. You have to non-sexual. Like you can't just focus on like the normative bodies. You have to like actually fucking like margins to the middle. Yeah, do it for everyone. Mm-hmm. Such a good point because I mean it's if anything the situation that we're in right now with COVID should be the arguing point for socialized medicine but fundamentally Mm -hmm. we are still seeing this sort of morality play of like we are the greatest biggest wealthiest (laughs) country in the world and we can't even get our shit together and and in one sense yes that could work from a perspective of like shame being a motivator though typically that's not really super successful with regards to improving health outcomes like i think every study i've read that's mentioned you know making Mm -hmm. people feel like shit or inadequate does not result in them making decisions that benefit their health but (laughs) yeah so theoretically we could shame um the federal government into improving health care but at the end of the day like health care that isn't absolutely universal that isn't um cross-border that isn't available regardless of your locality is something that we have the capacity to do in the world we we have the technology right (laughs) it's a matter of political will at the Mm -hmm. end of the day so yeah maybe if we do a study in sheep that shows that you know actual global health communism is successful in improving sheep iq then um we can move forward from there thoughts it can only be successful by eugenic principle (laughs) I, I, uh, it, it improves the size of what was the amygdala? I don't know. Whatever. (laughs) We've got great ideas about studies for sheep. So if you want (laughs) to get involved in some biomedical research, our email is, (laughs) no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, I think that's a good place to leave it for today. Thank you as always for listening to the show. If you'd like to support us, please become a patron at patreon.com slash death panel pod. I think we only have four shirts left, so... Uh, if you want a tie-dyed shirt. We definitely will not have shirts left by the time you this goes up. Yeah. We can leave it. I don't know. You never know. But um, anyways, become a patron. Patreon.com slash death panel pod. Get access to the bonus episode. Get a discount of merch. Help support our work. Uh, as always, Medicare for all now. Solidarity forever. Stay alive another week. When we hit one million patrons, we'll clone Phil. <laughs> <laughs>
Weird things happened last last night. It was a weird night in the universe. Uh, I had a uh, weird thing happen where I woke up in the middle of the night and my record player was uh, was playing. Like I had, a, I had just oh, like left yeah. a record. Um, do you have a haunted condo? I, I think I do. I think I do actually. Like it just I woke up at like yes. two a.m. and just like the record was playing and I was like, could the cat have knocked in some way? It's like no, the cat can't press that but it's like situated where the cat cannot be able to press that button what was it playing it was playing like whatever record was on the uh was on the turntable it was like tyvek or something it's like i this is interesting yeah it's just like this is really uh it felt it felt odd, odd. It's like there's a disturbance in the universe well we're haunted Welcome to the Welcome Haunted to the Podcast. Podcast. The America's original Haunted Podcast. <laughs> Haunting confirmed.